Welcome to episode three of the Performance Advantage podcast with myself, Dr. Will O'Connor, and yourself, Dr. Matt Miller, aka MTB PhD. Today we're talking about one of Matt's favorite topics, propulsive cycling power. Yeah, yeah. And we say propulsive because, Matt, you have a little project in the works uh, for braking power. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's been in the works for a long time, and luckily um, I'll be able to talk more about it yeah, probably next week, which is pretty sweet. We'll save yep. it, you know, we'll kind of trickle the information yeah. in as we go. But we need to make the differentiation now because we can measure braking power that, you know, we're talking about cycling propulsive power. Which is the power yep. that's so making that's you go So that's your standard forward. power people are going to understand yeah. when you say, you know, riding with power. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cool. Uh, all right then, Matt, why don't you sort of give me a bit of a rundown on what power is for cycling? Yeah, so for me, um, power is like the holy grail of um, information for training your fitness for cycling. Yeah. Like kind of if if you're not measuring power, you're actually you end up making a lot of guesses as to what's kind of going on. And the reason power yeah, for sure. The reason power is so good is because um, you know, we can start with a definition and we can say, you know, power is the rate of doing work. So, yeah. When we're thinking about riding a bike, if we can push harder on the pedals more times, that's that's going to be more work. If we can do that more quickly, we're just going to go faster. So yeah. it's really, really simple. Yeah. So the higher your power is, um, the more work you're doing um, yeah. in that one second. Okay. So it's joules per second. So um, joules. So that's work. We understand joules from eating food. Yeah. Kilojoules, kilocalories, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So how much work we're doing uh, over time. Yeah, that's right. So, you know... Um, we're measuring it. We're not measuring. Um, we're doing a little bit different when we're measuring because we're usually measuring it in the crank power, right? So yep. we're measuring. Okay. Um, we end up measuring the torque, right? So the torque that there's little tiny strain gauges somewhere in the crank. It almost doesn't matter where they are. They're made to measure the torque that you're producing, and then measures how quickly that's turning around, right? So that. So just uh, so torque is the force applied at the end of a lever yeah so it's a force at a distance so if we know the yes. distance and we know what the strain is on the strain gauges um we can calculate a torque so it's super simple like um, yeah so the the distance being the the length of the crank right that's right and the force is what you are pushing down yeah sure we don't want to get into defining force but um yeah but um i'm just i'm just trying to you know just so people can sort of work it through in their head yeah that's right push down on the pedal it's it's measured along the crank um and then that is the the work that's your torque yep yeah and then what we do is we multiply the torque by how quickly you're spinning and you can just think of just your rpms your cadence yeah so cadence yep yeah so you know if you know once we do some calculations based on the crank length if we know your rpms and we know how, how hard you're pushing we know what your power is at any time. Okay. So that's that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that is good. I mean, it's great because yeah. that's what we want. That's what we're, we want to uh, know. We want to know what the muscles are doing, right? Because we measure heart rate, and heart rate's been yes, around definitely. for years and years and years. And, yeah. you know, that's the cardiovascular response to doing work, right? Yeah. So we're measuring the response 
when we're to our our power when we're measuring heart rate. So actually, when you combine those two measurements, it's really really good. Yeah, and more like different to to running or swimming, which are kind of more controlled. Uh, because if we just looked at heart rate and say speed, we have no idea, right? Headwind, tailwind, uphill, downhill, it it doesn't really. Besides, like your general sort of, um, I guess, aerobic training, um, you still don't know if you're getting better. Yeah. Well, like with running, we have pace, right? And and yeah, sure, you've got a hill and stuff, but no one's expecting to be running faster up a hill than they are on the flat. Um, so then, power essentially gives us that what like an objective measure or or of of our outputs. Yeah. Right. Like you can compare your power today to your power yep. 10 years ago yeah right and you know you'll know you know if you kind of know what your weight is um you know how you compare to yourself 10 years ago so if you do you know like the 10-year challenge maybe your power was way <laughs> higher and you're way lighter yeah. so you were probably way faster and maybe today yeah. your power is way lower and you weigh a little bit more um so you're you know you're much slower um Oh yeah, I guess um, if we really got into it, we could get uh, get a bit uh, not really like versus like comparisons, aerodynamics. Uh, yeah. The type, the type of power meter, man, yeah. are they all going to be comparable? Yeah. Um, that's probably the other thing. I mean, that's one of the most common questions for me. Is like, oh, I'm going to get a power meter. What what one should I get? Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's left only. There's yeah. dual. There's there's pedals. Um, there's the spindles. Uh, what else? There's the hub. I don't know if they're really doing those anymore. Oh, I don't know. Um, there's the like four eye. They they just they take your crank and put one on for you. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so what what one should I get? I mean, you, I know I'm asking you this because I know you did that study where you measured a whole bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. So I think you actually mentioned something really you know interesting where you talked about kind of aerodynamics. If I'm comparing my power to my power, it doesn't matter what the wind was on that day, really, if we think about yeah. it. So that's that's really yeah, good. No, you're right. And that, you're right. you know, I think that's an important point when people talk about, well, I know what my pace was. Well, you don't actually, like your pace almost um, is kind of dependent on what the wind was. You know, if you had a tailwind or whatever, yeah. and you're doing a test, uh, which we'll talk about that in a little bit, like testing your power. Um you know, if you're going by pace, you know, you're kind of missing out a lot. But yeah, so we did like, so um, when the, there was this, there's this brand called Stages. And um, when they first came out, I, this was maybe about five or six years ago, you know, they measure power in only the left side crank. Yeah. I mean, when they came out, everyone is sort of, because of their low price point compared to what was um, already on the market, which is your generally your dual base full crank kind of setups, SRM, Quark. Um, so you're looking two thousand plus, and then and then stages came out with the, I don't know, it was around a thousand bucks. Yeah, so they pretty much have the price, um, and yep. you know they did do it a, a little bit differently. So SRM, which is the original, you know, considered the gold standard, um, they're you know pretty accurate, really expensive. Yep. They're measuring power yep. within the chain ring. So it's within, the strain gauges are built within this chain ring spider. So what okay. you're getting is you're getting yep. the tension on the chain is okay. where you're getting the torque. So that, is that even like kind of better um, than measuring it in the crank? Because now you're looking at more of like what, that's like transferred power, 
right? Because you can push down on the pedals really hard, but if it if your bike's really flexy, um, like the the power will be going through the crank, but will it be going into the chain and into the rear wheel? Yeah, sure. There's probably some of that being lost, um, for sure. But you know, if they're measuring uh, within the strain gauge, we're going to lose those same kind of energies when we're whether we're pushing, uh, whether whether we're measuring on the left or not, right? Because we're still okay. pushing on yep. the left. 50% yep. of the time, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, um, so, cool. So that's probably not a huge worry, but, um, you know, like, um, it makes sense, right? Like, I measured in the chain ring, the power I'm putting, like, you can just look at it and be like, okay, that yeah. power meter is what I want because it's right. So, you know, yeah. they've been around for a while. There's a couple of different brands. Um, and then, you know, this left arm thing came out, and we're like, hmm, I don't know about that. Like we're scientists, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's get some in. Yeah, like how does that work? Is over on the other like non-drive side yeah. of the of the bike. Yeah, and you know, because we push with both legs, so if we're measuring with only uh, the we left, do. we're not actually measuring what's happening uh, at with the right at all, right? So if we have it within the the chainring spider, we're measuring with both um, yep. with both legs, but you know, left side only is only measuring the left leg. And it's, you know, pretty easy to kind of calculate um, power in that way. Um, the calculations are on their website, and you can look at it, and it, it makes sense. So they're just kind of estimating and, you know, assuming that, you know, both legs are pretty much the same, which yeah. they pretty much are for everyone. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, within a couple percent, like if you're off by like 2 or 3% in one leg versus the other, that's not much, and that's pretty standard amongst like pro cyclists. Um, yeah, so right. that's not a worry, right? So we got them in. We're like, okay, let's do a bunch of experiments using three power meters on one bike at the same time. Yep, I remember riding uh, my bike on the treadmill. Yeah, actually, it wasn't even your bike. It was like a... No, it wasn't. It was like, I don't know how many sizes too small. Yeah. There's a photo. I'll try to find that photo and put it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fo- in the yeah. photo, like we're in the lab and, uh, you know, we did part of the test was a treadmill study um will was on the yeah, treadmill like very controlled yeah yeah like we controlled the speed um and then we had everyone ride on it but um you know will is wearing a cycling kit and i'm wearing like some sweatpants i don't know how yeah. you know i had sweatpants in the lab but you can find that photo um <laughs> please don't maybe we should delete it before people start looking for it it's like sweatpants and a button-up shirt it just doesn't go yeah that was what you used to <laughs> As, you know, you stopped caring about yourself. You're a scientist. Yeah, the, yeah, that's that's actually not true. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know that was the one part that we did. So we had this lab lab test, and what we did is we hooked up one bike with a stages power meter. Yeah. Right. So that's left side only, and then on the drive side we had a quark power meter, um, which yep. is measuring in the strain gate or in the chainring spider, and then we had a power tap power meter on the rear wheel. So we measured power three different places. Yes. Um, All right. And? And, you know, drum roll. Um, There's pretty much no difference, really. Yeah, like they're all pretty much the same. So like statistically, we found some differences um, in, you know, how quickly they return to zero. Um, Okay. Which is pretty important if you're like, pedaling and then coasting pedaling like mountain biking especially and that's you know how we tested it um yeah 
like on some trails and we just noticed that you know the the more recent technology which was using an accelerometer to measure power um that went to zero more quickly so this is what because i i had border stages um and what i noticed and other people noticed was stages was reading slightly lower um than other power meters and from my understanding was because of the accelerometer it wasn't measuring cadence um once a revolution when it went past the the cadence magnet it was measuring it continuously so that when there was no power or a slowing of the cadence it essentially you know lowered the power output whereas on the other ones which are measuring cadence once every revolution it sort of estimated that the power was on almost the whole time yeah because it didn't know kind of what was happening between where the measurements were happening right so if you were measuring it six times per revolution versus continuously throughout a revolution um you're going to get higher resolution right by measuring Yep. more times so um you know that's kind of what we figured was happening um is that you know that's why the power was a little bit lower because we we're getting more zeros um maybe more ref- reflective of what was actually happening um yes but really uh so to, so then comparing is it like you've got a quark or maybe my bikes you know got a mountain bike or a time trial bike and a road bike cyclocross bike gravel bike downhill bike um I got an e-bike. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. But BMX. You should. You know, some people do. Some people do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I've got different power meters on all these bikes. How do I? Can I go? Oh, that's lower and that's higher, or, or like, is there any way to do that? Or you can only really compare within the same. Yeah. So you know, if you're watching your own fitness, um, and you're trying to, comp- like, test yourself, right? You need to be um, comparing the same power meter every time you're doing testing, right? So yep. if we so if we go back to your study, what did, did you find the differences between? No, so we we would call that you know in science or whatever we'd call that reliability. So we want to know yep. if we use the same piece of equipment today and we use it ten years from now or whatever it is, we want to make yep. sure that it's producing the measurement, you know, with no error. Because if we're comparing yep. our fitness. We need to be comparing apples to apples, right? We don't want to be comparing yes. apples to oranges, right? So no, reliability is really important. Um, so, um, you know, companies will report their own reliability, and we actually didn't, you know, test reliability because we'd need to do it over and over and over um, across many days, different temperatures and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're pretty reliable. There's been new studies that come out. And... People love doing research on new power meters because everyone, you know, believes that they're wrong. Like these new pieces of equipment, there's no way that can be right. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, sometimes like scientists are a little bit out of touch which actually, which, with what's actually happening um, in the engineering world. So when engineers yeah. are making something that's measuring torque, like it's measuring torque, right? That's, yeah. that's their product is made to measure torque. So they, you know, go to great lengths to make sure that it's measuring it accurately. Um, yeah. And it's not that complicated. No, no, it's not. And, you know, yeah. there's... So then, because as a, like, as a sports scientist, I guess, we look at it, we don't look at the, um, like, the mechanical object. We're like, how could you 
like directly reflect a human's like energetic output in such an accurate way there's no way but in actual fact like it's just how, how much how hard are you pressing on a lever yeah yeah it's like we've measured that for pro you know over a century um just applying it to a bicycle is like super easy yeah and you see that now i mean how many you're involved in the industry now like how many power meters are there um there's probably about 20 different brands yeah you know and they more than that surely yeah there's oh i guess because there's the companies that make all the subsidiaries yeah yeah sure like there's you know brands that are made by different companies and um you know some companies might make for a couple different brands and um yeah there's a lot going on and you know engineers like it's their job to make something that works and they do a lot of like that's why it costs so much like they need to make sure it works and there's a lot of development that goes goes on in the background um so you know if you're buying something from like a pretty reputable brand um just use the same one all the time compare apples to apples and um, you're going to be pretty good you know yeah so just just buy one even if it's the cheapest one yeah you'll still be fine yeah 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 totally just don't get that one that measures like the wind um there's like a little (laughs) wind fairing on the front and there's also like one that goes on the on the valve stem yeah there's also one that goes on your shoe okay uh yeah yeah within the sole right Nah, not in the sole just on the like almost like the running one that goes through your laces yeah, so they're estimating power based on acceleration, and um, yep. and your weight and height yeah. and maybe and like the weight of the bike. I'm guessing it's probably similar to um, to the running one, and like it grabs a bunch of data from your GPS, so like altitude and um, gradient and all that kind of kind of jargon. Yeah, um, well, because it so what it's doing is it's continuously estimating, like it's continuously measuring acceleration super easy super cheap kind of sensor put in your shoe put it wherever um and then if you know the speed um you can kind of estimate like someone's rolling resistance and their aerodynamic drag and then you know you take that all away and oh well you have um power yeah but it's not that good especially for like um variable like surfaces so it's like something like mountain biking if you're using speed as your estimate of aerodynamic drag um and that you know if you're riding on a really hard packed surface and then suddenly you hit a puddle your speed's going to yep. reduce there's suddenly way more drag like your power readings just it's yeah so let's just for for mountain biking the like a good contrast that people would be able to understand it's like the road um whatever tarsiel bitumen straight um hot mix and then long wet grass right like it's a struggle to go through long wet grass yeah um and if you were just looking at oh yeah i went 20 k's an hour and now i'm going 10 k's an hour but i'm blowing through the ringer like look at your power yeah yeah right so like if you were to produce the same exact power on that grass and then the same exact power on a different like sealed surface you're just going to go faster on the sealed surface because there's less drag yeah um all right so we've we're now confident that we can buy whatever power meter we want um what do we do with it once we've got it yeah so um you know 
you're gonna so you're gonna get your power meter. You're gonna record it on your your, de- your device on the front of your bike, whatever kind of brand it is. You're gonna upload yeah. it to whatever software because they all kind of do the same thing. And you're gonna look at a bunch of graphs, and you're gonna be like, "What the heck am I looking at?" Yeah. You know. What does it mean? Yeah. So you know, I kind of look at power meters as, as being beneficial in two ways. And the first way is um, to monitor your intensity during training. Okay. Right. So, you know, that's what we're doing when we're training is we're kind of manipulating how hard we go how, and the duration of that um, to get some sort of response within our muscles that makes us go be- go faster. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're like when we're trying to train ourselves or athletes, we're looking at the, the demands of the event that they're training for and then the biological, physiological sort of uh, areas that need to be trained. Yeah, and, yeah. And then without um, trying to do that without guessing. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, since we've, you know, been part of different events and we've looked at lots of different kind of power files, we, we can look at an event and we pretty much... Um, you know, as coaches, we kind of know what the athlete needs to get that kind of response, right? So, the, you know, yeah. we'd say prescribe some intervals and, um, you know, it's exercise at this power for this long. You know, we kind of know what kind of response that's going to give us when it comes to the event. Um, yeah. And looking at your power while you're riding is the way to monitor your intensity. Okay, so we've got we've we've uploaded our first ride and we're just looking at it like I don't I don't know what is it what does it mean where where should we like and then you're talking about doing intervals like how what's my starting point like where am I gonna know I know uh, a lot of people are talking FTP functional threshold power um, not you're not the biggest fan of that uh, but. That's going to be what most people are looking at because uh, they're using some sort of device, um, like software that is going to measure it. Um, so why don't you just uh, run us through, I guess, you've got your power meter, now you need to test, really, yeah. your, your abilities and what to look at when you've when you've done your testing. Yeah, okay. So the, um, there's a couple ways to assess your fitness um, yeah. based on power. And one of the most common ways is functional threshold power. So that's functional threshold power estimates um, the power output of your lactate threshold. So if we go into Sorry, the lab. A, that is a estimate. Yeah, yeah, it is an estimate, right. It's not a hard, direct science. No. It's essentially a made-up algorithm. Uh, it's pretty good. You know, if you think about your, your lactate threshold, you can't sustain your lactate threshold forever, right? So it's. Yeah. A kind of hard intensity that if you exercise at that, you'd probably be pretty cooked at, at an hour and you'd have to, yeah. you know, take a nap or something like that, right? <laughs> so if you go out and no one wants to do a, a time trial for one hour. Um, I do not. No, like as hard as you can go for one hour. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that'd be a good way to get our, our lactate threshold, you know, apart from going into the lab. And the lab has yeah. its other benefits, which we'll definitely have to talk about. Um, some other time, but you know, I have my power meter. I can go do this eight or 20 minute, um, time trial, right? Okay. And eight or 20 minutes, yeah, eight Sorry. or 20 minutes. So I, you know, do a standardized warm up that I'm going to do every time because I'm comparing apples to apples. 
and I'll go yep. probably up a hill because um, we don't want to worry about like spinning out our gear or anything like that. We'll go up a hill, right? Okay. And just go produce the highest power we can produce for that that set amount of time. Okay. Right. Um, just a question on that. Outside versus inside? Like, if we're trying to compare apples with apples, should we jump on the trainer and do it? Yeah, I mean, you can do it on the trainer. The only problem is, unless okay. you're doing all your training inside on the trainer, like, there's some energy losses that are happening, um, and, you know, you don't get these little tiny micro-recoveries inside on the trainer because you're yeah. constantly always pedaling. So, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're training so it's outside... Be a little lower. Yeah, so you might as well just do it outside. Plus, it's yeah. more fun outside, really. But Oh, you should... Mm, I, I don't know, man. you got some Zwifters out there that are pretty hard converts yeah well you know what if you if you want to test inside just test inside all the time and if you're using yeah. it to gauge where your fitness is just that's what you need to yeah. do because the controlled. issue becomes where and i've had this um happen where you're testing inside but then trying to apply it outside like now we're looking at different now we're looking at apples and, and oranges yeah or apples and bananas or maybe apples and pears like it's the same sort of like um phylum is it well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Yeah, they must be pretty close. Fruit. Yeah, so they're in there. Yeah. Anyway, Matt, um, back onto the topic. Yeah. So inside, outside, whatever. We're doing eight or 20 minutes up a hill. We're doing our best possible output. And and now what? So now you have this average power output. So that's the, the work that you did in this many seconds, whatever the minutes are. It, yep. It'll tell you average power. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if you do eight minutes, you multiply that by 0 0.9. If you're doing... Tw 0 0.9. Yeah. So if I okay. did 300 watts for eight minutes, yep. um, I would multiply that by 0 0.9 and that my um, functional threshold power would be 270 watts. Cool. And then if you do a 20-minute test, um, since 20 minutes is closer to one hour, you would multiply that by 0 0.95. 0 0.95 20 minutes 0 0.95 and eight minutes is 0 0.9 yeah yeah cool. so then you have your functional threshold power and what you can do then is you can retest that you know over and over and over but also like yep. it's really good because you can estimate your training zones right which is pretty good so yeah i mean now we have a, essentially a, a number an output of our our lactate threshold um, so we can work up or down from that. And the body essentially generally responds the same throughout people, like on average, if you're going to be going far above it or far below it in terms of the durations you can sustain. Yeah, sure. Like if you're going a little bit above your functional threshold power or quite a lot above, you're just not going to be able to do it forever. You know? Yeah, that you're in the diminishing returns side of things there. And then below that, you're on the more of a sustained effort. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I always, you know, you can go, you can take your FTP, type in FTP zone calculator in Google or whatever. And then, you know, you enter your FTP, it spits out three or four or five zones for you. Yeah. Right. Um, and do you, do you have a particular zone one that you'd use and the Andy Coggin one? Yeah. Um, I've used that. Look that up. Um, if you use training peaks, it's, it's built within there. Um, I can't comment on what Strava uses, but if you have a look at the Andy Coggin one, you can 
uh, there's numerous calculators out there. Put a link. I'll write that down. Put a link in there yeah, yeah, yeah. for people to use that. But anyway. Yep. Yeah, they're pretty good. But they're not, you know, a zone isn't like super hard science. Like a zone is a zone, right? Like we're yep. trying to estimate a metabolic response from a certain power output. And even though power's, you know, really as good as it gets in terms of training, it's not exactly perfect, you know, whether we're one watt or t- above our zone, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. It's just not. Then we can, we've, we've got heart rate then as well, just as a backup. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, you'll get, you know, your zone one is going to be the lowest level, like just super easy, feels like nothing. Zone yep. two is probably your aerobic kind of endurance and we know like based on all the millions of people that have you know been in these studies to kind of develop what these zones are that um you know it's probably something that's an aerobic demand and then they get higher and closer to your threshold yeah okay cool so the other question i'd have was we've, we've got these zones right um we also we got to train in them uh that's sort of a, a topic for you know a different discussion but then we've got normalized and average uh you talked about so if we want to look at our power um we want to what's what's happening there normalized average power what are the what are the two yeah so average power is here's the work that you did in this time frame and this is the rate of doing that work in whatever time that was so you can so average is just like the standard average if you had a, a three a four and a three and a zero um, you've got a, a you've got a total of 10 yep. divide that by three you you have oh geez 3.699 sure recurring. and if you add a zero in there though if you add a zero in there now you've got um 10 divided by four so you went from 3.699 to 2.5 yeah so th- so that that's the that would be average right Okay. Serious. Yeah. And then how, what would normalize do? Yeah. So your average has a tendency to, you know, since it's taken into, into account all the times you coast and you coast yeah. hundreds and hundreds of times when you're cycling. You're going around a corner, a little downhill, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. Even if it's one or two seconds here and there, like you're doing all the time, especially mountain biking where you're coasting like quite a lot, even when you're going hard. Um, yeah. So the average power has a tendency to be like a, a kind of low number sometimes based on what you could do. Um, okay. So this normalized power, it's uh, kind of a more complicated uh, equation. It's taking the cubic root of a whole bunch of things, but it's basically like um, the, the metabolic equivalent of what your power was for this time, right? Okay. So... Okay. You're going to have to explain that to me a bit yeah, more. Yeah, so it's kind of taking into account how long the zeros are. So if you have yeah. zeros for 10 minutes in a row, um, yes, you had a really, really long time to recover. Yeah, so let's say uh, we took, it was a 20-minute, and I did a 5-minute all-out, 10-minute rest, 5-minute all-out. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. So so, so it, it looked at that zero for 10 minutes. Yeah. Or, or the 50 watt or whatever, yeah. really low, low number. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So, you know, if you took your, your normalized power in that example, um, you know, it might be closer to average power, right? Then compared to if you did 10 minutes really hard, had a one minute break, and then, you know, did nine minutes really hard because that those zeros were, it was a really small amount of zeros, right? So your normalized yep. power would be, you know, quite high. 
Okay, sorry, you sort of lost me there. Go go back over that. Why would it be? Why would it be so different? I thought like if I had a five minute effort, yeah. um, let's say three hundred watts, um, fifty watts for ten minutes, and then another three hundred watts. Like now we've got this huge section of time at at, at fifty watts. I thought essentially what um, normalized power would be like if you were going to do this twenty minute effort at a sustained time like this is what you would this is what you'd do if you hadn't like had any rest yeah um you'd you wouldn't do 300 watts the whole time you'd do like i don't know 200 probably yeah so i totally explained it wrong just there didn't i Uh, that's a pretty (laughs) bad example um i guess i know what you're trying to say with the metabolic equivalent like if i did um 10 seconds on 50 seconds off so one minute and they just keep smashing that um the average power is going to be pretty low yes isn't it because it just takes into account the 50 seconds of zero watts whereas um if i looked at the normalized the metabolic average or equivalent would be like actually if you didn't go so hard and had such poor pacing if you're looking at it in that way you would actually be able to average 300 watts across this whole 10 minutes that's what you'd actually be able to do for because you put out so much energy across this. But instead, because you went hard and easy and hard and easy, um, your average power now looks really low. Right. Yeah, that's a much better way to explain it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was actually a little bit worried I was getting No, no, no. But, no, you're right. Because that's how I'd explain it. I'd be like, you know, if you were to... Um, we just had Ironman New Zealand over the weekend actually shout out to mike phillips my mate who won Um, but that's a that's a hard surface it's it's quite undulating very um windy conditions so then what you get in ironman new zealand is huge variations in power you know it's not like a a flat out and back um where you can just go i'm gonna lock in 250 watts hoon out there hoon back so your average power is essentially 250 it's like you're at 380 and then you're at 200 and then you're you know into the headwind you might be hidden higher um so if you were to normalize it it looks a lot nicer you know it might be like a 280 watt normalized but actually your average because you keep having all these zeros it's like um more like a 230 or something yeah right yeah 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 I, th- I think hopefully we're, we're helping people on that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I think your example is kind of way better. Um, you know, f- to be honest, like <laughs> when I look at normalized, so what I'll normally look at is like a cross-country race or something. And I'll look at normalized yeah. power, say, every lap or over the whole race. Um, I pretty much will only kind of look at normalized power each lap. So that'll give me a real good snapshot of what, what the, how hard the person was able to go each lap, right? So take into account uphills, downhills, and everything. So that gives me the good snapshot, right? This normalized okay. power. Yep. But then what I'll do yep. is I'll pick, um, I'll look at the elevation graph and I'll look at, you know, a big climb, right? So each lap, yep. if there were four laps, I'll look at the biggest climb on each lap and see what the average power was each time they did that. Um, so Okay, because that's the sustained effort yeah, really, right? Yeah, sure. And, yep. you know, if you're really fatigued, um, that last lap up the biggest climb, your average power is going to be just horrendous right so if you kind of blow up or whatever um and uh, you'll probably notice that in the normalized power as well but you know i like to look at that those little snapshots i like to look at average power 
For yeah. That, so. so if we've got uh, an event of any type, um, generally you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in this. Uh, yeah, similar to you, I'll look at the whole thing. What's our average? Uh, depending on the event, like if we're looking at for the uh, like individual um, like non-drafting triathletes or a time trial for a cyclist, uh, I'm going to look at it and I want, a, knowing the course, if the course is pretty much flat, I want normalize and average to be quite similar because um, that's going to show me that there's no huge spikes or um, negative sort of uh, pacing strategies or positive pacing strategies, I guess, where, where someone's blowing up. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm looking, at, looking at those, seeing how they compare. Then if there's laps, I'm going to look at uh, normalize across the laps compare those and then yeah like you said that um specific sections like why you know why was your i'll look at peak sort of one minute peak two five and ten and just you know depending on the duration go why was your peak five at the very start yeah um and and then generally just uh chop it up really and and try and look for in time trialing a very nice consistent effort and then in like cyclists it's more like well yeah where were you here's how much work we essentially figure you can do throughout a three to five hour race why were you on the front or trying to chase down uh breaks that's again looking at those five ten minute power efforts um when the when the decisive climb was at the end and you couldn't put out um this amount yeah yeah i mean that's when power you know becomes really good when you're analyzing your race performances so like yeah um yeah you can use it to guide your training really important you can use it to you know assess your fitness but you know as a coach like when we have power in a race um that that's really a good way to guide those training like the whole training program and especially you know so things like you said like you know if someone blows up early on or they you know do some you know say they produce their best ever five minute power because they're really fresh feeling really good and they do their best ever five minute power at the very start yeah. of a race well you know how you feel when you do your best ever five minute power and you're pretty <laughs> tired afterwards so yeah you know someone could you know blow up in that first five minutes they actually had an amazing um physical performance but their race result sucked because they just blew up yeah, and it's also good. Like I've had a couple athletes do their, you know, have a, a fairly average result, um, but then you look at the numbers and empower, you know, because if it's a time trial or whatever or a hill climb, and they're like, oh, you know, I was, I was whatever result, fifteenth, twentieth, but you're like, look, you just did your best ever power. Like this is this is. You, you can't ask for more than being the best version of yourself on that day. 15th is where you were. Yeah, that's right. Like, cause you know, your results on paper and it's really tough when you're racing because your result on paper is based on the other people that were there. Right. But yeah. your results in terms of, you know, how you've improved with yourself, you know, you can just look at your power, you know, cause you don't know yeah. what the other people are doing. They could have had the very best ride of their entire lives and, you know, suddenly like you know you're you know 15th like you said and um and maybe you did or didn't have the best ride of your life but if you have your power and you know what you can do it puts it into perspective 
So when we when we look at power, then um, we need to consider weight. Yeah, we do. So um, it you know if I have this cup, if this is full of water, it's going to take more work to lift it. Okay. So for for those just uh, listening, yes, Matt has a cup. Yeah. Okay, so I have a cup in my hand, full of water. and if it's yep. full of water and I lift it, I know the distance yep. that I lifted it, right? So it's yep. going to take more work to lift a heavier cup, right? Sure, I can understand that. So taking a drink. Yep, so if you think of your body as the cup, yep. right? So it's going to take more work to go up a hill with a full cup, right? So if you're uh, you know, big and fat um, and you're yep. going up a hill... Um, it's going to, yeah. your power, the rate of the work that you do is going to have to be higher, um, to go the same speed as someone that's lighter, for yeah. example. Okay. So that's why, you know, when we go, when we talk about power, a lot of times for cyclists, we talk about, uh, power to weight, the power to weight ratio. So yeah, watts per kg. Yeah, watts per kg. So you'll see that listed in most of the things that you'll read about power. It'll be watts per kg is, you know, kind of the most, the most important, um, thing for cyclists um yeah you know because if you're lighter you're going to go faster at a given power output okay okay so then that's also quite important to look at uh comparing ourselves like if i do 300 watts but then i lose 5 kgs and i do 280 watts watts per kg wise i've actually improved yeah that's right um yeah. you know and you you might see that a lot in like your own training like you you might lose a lot of weight and maybe your power didn't change, you know, because, but because you're being more consistent in your training, um, you know, or maybe you changed your diet. Um, like the previous podcast. Yeah, yeah that's right. Carb, the low carb one that. where we talked about reducing. Was a significant finding in that study uh, actually was an increase watts per kg across, across all participants. Yeah. So that's, a, anyway, yeah, that's really important if they're, you're yeah. doing an event where it involves going up a hill because you're fighting against gravity. Um, okay, so when we, if we're going up a hill, Matt, I'm bigger than you, um, and why, like, why is it, why is it that I'm having to push more power to go at the same speed you are? Because this little thing called gravity, right? So we're constantly okay. fighting gravity going up a hill. Um, so since you weigh more, even if we're going at the same exact pace, or or maybe if yep. I'm going. Um, that's not a good example, but to go the same pace, you know, just yeah. because you have to fight gravity more, you're just going to have to yeah. do more work to do that. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. All right. So, um, yeah. Watts per kg. The other one, I guess, watts per kg is very important, especially for going up a hill. And it's very, very good to compare. Um, that's more of a apples with apples kind of thing um cyclists get a bit uh carried away with oh he or she did 300 watts for 20 minutes it's like yeah well he or she weighs 80 kgs and you weigh 50 like that's different but then absolute power is very important for going fast on the flat right yeah that's right so like when we're going up a hill the main thing we have to contend with is gravity yeah and when we're going on the flat the main things we have to contend with are um you know, rolling resistance and aerodynamic drag, right? Yes. So in that kind of case, um, you know, you would need to be able to produce more power 
full stop, right? Because, um, you know, the drag difference between someone like you and me, right? Um, yeah. since you're much bigger than me, um, it's, it's, it's not a huge difference in drag. Like there's a difference. Yeah. Especially if we're both on a time trial bike. Yeah. Like the frontal area, yeah. right. Of yeah. you and I on a time trial bike isn't a huge difference, but when we're going up a hill, it is going to be a big difference. Right. Yeah, yeah. So to go to the same pace yeah. up a hill, you'll have to produce more power than me. Then when we get to the yeah. flat, I'm yeah. going to have to produce way more power, uh, relatively than you just to keep up with you. So I'm actually, I'll probably have to yeah. go over my limit just because we have pretty much equal amount of drag. Like it's pretty close to being equal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for, from we almost, you know, going, going up a hill, we have to essentially produce, um, the same Watts per kg, but I'm going to be producing more power in that because if we have, well, yeah, I have more kgs. <laughs> So that's more power. Um, but then on the flat, we both have to produce 300 watts to overcome essentially the same rolling resistance and the same drag. But now that's more watts per kg for you than it is for me. That's right. So the heavier you are, and essentially if you're the same aerodynamics, you're going to be able to go, you know, you're going to be able to produce 300 watts or more quite easily, whereas the small person is going to struggle. Yeah. Um, and that's why big middle-aged cyclists love smashing the flats oh and they can they can do it you know um just yeah. they can just motor like so the bigger you are the faster you're going to be on the flat um yeah and you also have that ongoing potential energy yeah sure like you're going faster so you're just going to keep going faster and you know that's one yeah. thing that you don't see when you're inside on the trainer because you don't really have that but um yeah so for me you know riding side by side with you on the flat I, i'm gonna blow up sooner pretty much yeah, um, yeah. if we're going to and hard. then the opposite for for us on the hill. yeah yeah right um and there's another one i found i'm not sure if this really relates to power i think it, it, it kind of does it's quite interesting i don't know if you've seen it i was trying to figure out why why some cyclists are really good at time trials and others were good at hill climbs or you could produce more power going up a up a hill and it was around the cadence and application of force. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about yeah. that? You know about yeah, that? Yeah, so I think this is, like, super important, like, especially because I work with mountain bikers a lot. Mountain bikers yeah. can't train on trails all the time because there's too much impact. So they do a lot of their training yep. on the road, right? So, sure. yep. you know, for a mountain biker, when they're, you know, say, doing an XC race or doing, like, a, a downhill race with some sprints or something, um, their cadence is actually, you know, quite low right so the way that they produce their what's what's low so you know a mountain biker grinding up a hill um they might be at like yep. 60 or you know 65 70 rpm in a race yep. so that is quite that is quite low That's, like if you're on the road you get wait you're generally above 90 yeah so you know you're given 300 watts going up that hill um that's you know 65 rpm you know mountain bikers feel pretty good pushing a really high torque right so yeah to maintain the same power, um, if you change one of the variables, whether cadence or torque, um, let's say you reduce the cadence, to maintain that 300 watts, you're going to have to produce a higher torque. Yep. Right? So mountain bikers are really good at high torque pedaling, um, essentially, because yep. that's what they do all the time when they're mountain biking. So you, yeah, you yeah. get that same person on the road to do 300 watts um, on the flat, you know, going you know, 30, 40 k's an hour. Um, they'd probably be going pretty quick. 
um, you know, um, they're, they might struggle to maintain that 90, you know, RPMs, the cadence that the road is going to demand, really. Um, yeah, yeah, because now you have less time to apply force. Right. Um, so that's, you know, that's why you see um, road riders excelling at road riding and mountain bikers excelling at mountain biking. You know, to be able to change between the sports, um, you need to kind of make sure that you're getting the right adaptations that you need. Yeah, uh, but then hill climbing is kind of hill climbing. Um, yeah. So what's what some people, when I was going back to the question I'd been asked about, like, why can I produce more power going up than, like, in a time trial? It's often, if you climb a hill, like Matt said, you're going to be climbing at, like, 60, 70 RPM. Maybe high would be, like, an 80. Um, if you're doing that, obviously you're not pedaling as many times in a minute, RPMs, revolutions per minute. So you have more time per pedal stroke to push down on the pedals. Now, when you're time trialing, say you get up to 40 k's an hour, you might be at 1 to 110. So now you've, you've got 110, you've got like 40, 50 more pedal strokes within that minute. You have a whole lot less time, so you've got to produce a larger force in a shorter amount of time, um, which requires a larger muscle mass, different muscular recruitment, different neural pathways. It's, it's actually quite different to just... I'm riding my bike and this is putting power out. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's pretty big differences there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, riding at a high cadence though is pretty good because yeah. like, you know, so no, no matter what kind of training that you're doing, um, a high cadence is good because, um, you're getting more venous return, um, with every pedal stroke that you make. So, so it's the blood. Yeah. So like every contraction that you make with your muscles in your legs, you're pushing more blood back um, into your cardio, like back up to your heart pretty much. So you're getting yeah. more, uh, blood ejected from your heart. Um, so more oxygen delivered. So it's, it's quite good to train at a high cadence. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, so even though, you know, mountain bikers need a low cadence for the activities that they do when they're training, yeah. training at a high cadence is still pretty good. And if you mix the two within your training program, there's nothing to really worry about. Um, so Question around you obviously understand Ironman, Iron, and you got or even half Ironman where you're going 90 k's to 180 k's anywhere from sort of the absolute best at two hours, um, all the way up to yeah like eight hours, nine hours on the bike. Now some people in this in these situations are going to be running at, at a low cadence due to the relative power outputs and intensities they're exercising at for you know for most people three hours plus um and so there's actually less strain cardiovascular strain um and that has been found to in some cases some people induce like it re relate to a better running response uh because there's less muscular contractions across the bike leg and overall it's less demanding any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, running's pretty hard, you know? And Yeah, running's damn hard. Yeah, so yeah. if you're doing that as the last event after a really long time um, on the bike, um, yeah, I guess it would be about minimizing what your losses are on the bike while still going pretty quick. Yeah, so the theory around it was, like, there's less muscular contractions, 
so less potential for fatigue and cramp um, and then less cardiovascular strain because you're not working at such a high intensity that you're going to blow up or that you need to clear lactic or, or bicarbonate um, hydrogen ions um, or even transport a lot of glucose or anything so that the actual venous return heart pumping thing is not like a huge worry um, this is a theory anyway I'm not sure if it I mean most most uh, of the best guys are, are still hidden 90 to 100 um, but some of the females are uh, uh, um, have been mm. known to ride at 60 to 70. So I thought that was, that was pretty interesting, and it makes sense as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of does. When I think of power, though, I think, you know, um, you know, if you're doing work for eight hours, you know, um, you'll eventually get a pretty similar cardiovascular response. I, I just don't know enough about that. But, you know, the yeah. bike, as far as I know in triathlon, the bike isn't where it's really uh one isn't it like you you stand to lose more in the run than you can make up in the bike is that kind of the case yeah yeah uh i mean if we really if we really get into it it, it does get more complex depending on terrain and temperatures like in kona uh because of the heat aspect of it you have more convective cooling on the bike so you can afford to uh go a bit harder um because you can dissipate heat a lot yeah. easier um, especially if you are, if you go a good cyclist, you need to play to your strength in that kind of condition. Because once you get onto the run, if you're a good cyclist, you're generally a bigger person. And once you get onto the run, there's everyone's equal um, in terms of being able to dissipate heat. As I said, like we discussed, if you're a really big guy or girl on the bike um, and it's really hot, you can produce a lot more watts, and we can cool ourselves. So. I can, you know, go a lot faster than a smaller person. When you get onto the run, the bigger person is suffering, uh, for sure. So it's a, it's a, a balancing act there in terms of like how much time can you gain on someone and then force them to run up to you. Yeah, but but you still got to run. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and um, long distance triathlon, you got to run a half marathon to a marathon. So if you can't do that effectively, then then yeah, it doesn't really matter what you did on the bike. Yeah, it doesn't matter what your cadence was. Uh, Ironman New Zealand just over the weekend was a prime example. So the guy, uh, Andrew Starkowitz, I'm, I have to double check if he set the bike course record. I think it, it would have been very close. And he had 19, 17, 19 minutes on Mike Phillips, the eventual winner, who caught him with two Ks to go with a, an absolute blistering 240 run. So there you go, you know. Like Andrew Starkowitz is the is the Uber biker, um, and and he played to his strengths, and it just didn't work out on that on that day. Um, wow! But uh, so the that would have been a race to watch then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good. It was yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, so I I guess yeah we've we've covered everything right the that. I mean, we're not going to do the how to train no. for, for cycling, but how to test your power, how to retest your power, where to test it, how to analyze your rides, um, normalize power. There's also a couple other things if you really get into it, into like training peaks or something. Variability index, which is essentially just how variable you were across a ride. Um, you know, in a flat time trial, you want to be pretty consistent. 
300 watts all the way throughout. If you went 380 to 210 to 400, then your variability index is going to be variable. So it's going to be higher. Um, and then there's like power to heart rate decoupling um, or ratio. So yeah. if you're able to sustain a power and your heart rate went really high, or if you're able to, in an aerobic ride, I do have a little look at that to see if um, if heart rate and power just remained the same steady state. Because um, if there's a huge discrepancy there, then uh, the athletes might have been going too hard at, at certain yeah, times. Right. Um, or conditions like heat and stuff. Otherwise, Matt, anything from you? Yeah, I think like pacing's pretty important. And we talked about that before. And we we're actually going to talk about that today before we change <laughs> gears. But... You know, I think, you know, now that we kind of have this basis of power, I think, you know, we can have better pacing conversation. So, um, yeah, it's pretty yeah important. we can reference people back to this. Uh, yeah, well, now that we've got, once we've tested our power, we can look at those numbers and go, look, I'm at, I'm at whatever, 20 watts above what my threshold is. I know I can't sustain this. Yeah. Like, this is the Team Sky or Tom Dumoulin approach of like, I'm going to climb a hill at this. And this is essentially the physiological ceiling of humans. So have at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pacing's pretty good. And that, like, we can have a whole conversation on that. Um, well, we did. Yeah. Um, not on the podcast, uh, pre podcast. There's a video out yeah. there, but we'll do it on, again on the Facebook page. We'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely do it again. Um, and yeah, if you want to have any of your questions answered via the, the podcast, just write in to, to us, comment on the Facebook page, message, whatever. There's like a thousand. Maybe you just comment on one of Matt's Strava rides. It's, it's all out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, then, uh, Matt. Before I head off, anything on for the week, weekend? Yeah, uh, heading down south tonight, um, NZ Enduro, three-day Enduro race, oh. so um, kind of an adventure kind of thing. Do a bit of camping, and yeah, should be pretty fun. How about you? Uh, Cambridge 10K right. running race, so that's going to be the first real test in the lead-up to uh, the Rotorua Marathon, um, so that's my big big target, hoping to get a new personal best there and local local marathon and yeah that's right that's that's pretty much it really be good yeah mate uh all right then catch you later everybody bye bye